Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, August 26, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serrata, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Y-Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. Okay, let's talk about some news on Monday. It was all about DC Fandom, so we're going to talk about everything else that's happened, not just in the last three days, but maybe the last five or six uh, let's start off first with Warner Media. I, I, I guess I lied. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about DC at the the start of this. Uh, let's start. Let's, let's talk about Warner Media, who is investigating the production of Justice League. What is going on here, Ben? Yeah, I sort of alluded to this very, very briefly in an aside during our big conversation about DC fandom. But uh, Ray Fisher, who has had quite uh, a lot of things to say about the production of Justice League. Um, he revealed on Twitter that Warner Media is investigating the production of this movie. He says that they have officially launched an independent third-party investigation to get to the heart of the toxic and abusive work uh, environment created during Justice League reshoots. And he says, I believe this investigation will show that Jeff Johns, Joss Whedon, John Berg, and others grossly abused their power during the uncertainty of AT&T's merger with Time Warner. And Variety... Um, actually confirmed that an investigation is underway. Um, There have been no findings yet, and there is no specific timeline for the investigation. Um, Variety says that uh, having spoke with, you know, somebody involved with this, that Warner Media has not prejudged Whedon, Jeff Johns, or or John Berg going into this investigation. but uh, and, and evidently, according to Ray Fisher, there are other people who are, are apparently involved in whatever these mysterious abuses of power are that allegedly happened while making this movie. So the problem. What, what kind of abuse of power <laughs> are we talking about here, Ben? It's like so vague. I know that's the problem with this entire thing is it's, it's very difficult to have a, a full on conversation about because we don't know exactly. It is so vague. And, it you know, on one hand, I don't necessarily blame Ray Fisher for this because. Uh, for not like, you know, 
putting people on blast publicly and and getting into specifics because uh, getting sued is is not fun. But um, and like you know, I'm sure there are NDAs that people sign and stuff like that. But uh, it, it sounds like there's something that was brewing on on this set, and I have no idea what it would be. Like any any guess we have would just be straight uh, speculation at this point because everybody has been so guarded with the language that they're using. Um, when they talk about whatever may or may not have happened here. So um, I, I just find myself sort of scratching my head and, and hoping that this investigation, you know, uh, turns something out soon so we can actually like know what it is we're <laughs> even talking about here, you know? Yeah. Around the time that the Snyder Cut was officially announced, uh, Ray Fisher went on Twitter and said something. And at, at the time, I, I thought he was just being like kind of a dick about like the guy that you know, the filmmaker that got brought on and basically reduced the role, his role in the movie, like Cyborg's role has, was reduced dramatically uh, from what Snyder's vision was to, you know, what we got with Josh Whedon's vision. So I thought it was just kind of like sour grapes. But then there were some follow up tweets like, you know, accuse, these accusations of uh, some kind of abuse. Who knows what kind of abuse? I'm, I'm just I'm wondering if it if it is it just. You know, some of these actors and some of these people on set, like, were not happy with where they were taking it. And there was kind of like a creative, like, struggle there. Do you know what I mean? And like, like, Whedon and that Johns and that team being like, just, you know, just do our vision. You know, this is the way we want to go. Like, I'm wondering if it was that kind of thing or if there's like something a lot more to it. I don't know. On July 1st, uh, Ray Fisher tweeted that Joss Whedon's onset treatment of the cast and crew of Justice League was gross, abusive, unprofessional, and completely unacceptable. And he was enabled in many ways by Jeff Johns and John Berg, who were yeah. two of the executives who were working on the movie. So, uh, I mean, he, he's mentioning cast and crew here. So I think the implication <laughs> is that it's not just, you know, Whedon coming in and, and you know, taking a, a red pen to Zack Snyder's story and, and sort of rewriting things and, and cutting character arcs and stuff like that. It sounds like, according yeah. to Ray Fisher, there was something more going on here. But again, it's so vague that I, I wish we had a little bit more to, to really chew on and, and be able to understand exactly how, you know, how to address this. But um, that's, that's where we are right now. So hopefully Warner media and, and that investigation will, um, will provide something fruitful and, and everybody will be able to at least operate on the same page when we're talking about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think it is important that we have to like listen to victims or, you know, we, we need to, and, and it's great that Warner brothers is investigating this because they're taking it seriously. I'm just curious if we're going to hear anything about it, because usually those like internal investigations by companies like this is like that stuff's never made public. Mm -hmm. And with all the NDAs signed around a film like this, like, will we ever find out the, the end game here? Is what I guess what I'm yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, let's move on. Uh, Apple TV plus is planning to add augmented reality to the content. What What is going on here? HD. Yes, according to a new report by Bloomberg, Apple is reportedly planning to add augmented reality content to its streaming service that will act as a companion to its current uh, titles that are streaming on the platform. And they would be, um, they would basically implement objects or characters from these titles, which would be overlaid onto real world environments via an iPhone or iPad app. Uh, Bloomberg describes this basically as. something akin to bonus content, like a director's commentary for a movie. And uh, they describe kind of uh, in 
with the in relation to the show for all mankind saying that someone watching a moonwalking scene in the apple show for all mankind might be able to see a virtual lunar rover on their device's display seemingly seemingly perched atop their living room coffee table so it sounds something like um my closest comparison would be like pokemon go and how you can see through the screen like a, a an object that is reacting in real time to the environment around them, but on through your screen. Um, and this is uh, apparently being designed to draw in and retain new subscribers as well as promote Apple's AR technology. Hmm. This sounds like a gimmick that no one's going to use. Or they'll use it once and be like, oh, that's neat, and then never use it again. A- a- am I wrong? Or Yeah, I mean, you don't sound wrong. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know who's going to subscribe to Apple TV Plus because there's an augmented reality component to it. Like, who does that draw in? Well, I think they're hoping to mostly use it to keep subscribers on because uh, the uh, a, a large portion of their current subscribers are people who got it through the free trial that was offered with uh, the purchase of new Apple devices. But those free trials are ending soon. So I think they're just kind of throwing things at the wall, trying to figure out a way of like uh, a new gimmick or a new sort of uh, feature to keep them on board. Yeah. I'm not sure that this is going to be the feature that's going to keep people on board, but we'll see. Um, okay, let's let's talk about some reboots and remakes. Uh, let's talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, well, I guess it's a sequel or is it a remake? Ben, what, which, which is it? Yeah, so it's sort of like um, so. Legendary is is making a Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel, and they're sort of taking a page out of uh, Blumhouse's uh, playbook for what happened with Halloween, where they're skipping all of the actual sequels that happened, and they're just making this new movie that's supposed to be a direct follow-up to the 1974 original film. So um, Ryan and Andy Tohill were hired uh, back in February to direct this movie, and the story now is that those guys are off the project after a week of shooting, and they've been completely replaced uh, by a a filmmaker named David Blue Garcia, who only has one movie under his belt, a, a 2018 feature called Tejano, that is on uh, HBO Max right now. You can watch that if you want to. It was shot for $58,000. So he has has jumped in and and been replaced or or replaced these these two other filmmakers. Um, This is something that I I don't think is a, a... I mean, uh, Peter, the question you have here written down is like, how often does something like this happen, right? Can you think of of instances where, um, like off the top of your head, where directors had actually shot stuff and were booted from a project because of creative differences? Well, I mean, <laughs> Solo, oh, well. Star Wars story, yeah. right? Yep, yep. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, Richard Donner on Superman 2, he had yep. shot stuff, right? Uh, this, this is like a test here. Uh, <laughs> um, who else? Uh, did James Cameron replace someone on Piranha 2, but I don't even know who he replaced. Yeah. <laughs> It happens occasionally. It's just, um, it's a little rare. I mean, there's, there's enough for like, if you Google this subject, you'll find several lists and stuff about directors who are replaced on their own movies, basically. Um, another one that I can think of that I remember talking about at the time was uh, Steven Soderbergh was originally going to direct Moneyball, and then he ended up getting replaced by Bennett Miller on that. Um, and yeah, the Richard Donner one is a big one, especially for like the superhero stuff. Uh, Josh Trank, obviously, I mean, he that was sort of like a different situation because he still retained credit on on that movie, but he was essentially removed from the project sort of like in post-production. So there are different levels to, you know, 
this kind of thing. But it seems like um, these guys are are basically making like a clean break from the production because uh, this report about their exit says that Legendary did not spark to what it saw from the director's first week's worth of work. So um, they decided to scratch, you know, everything and, and just completely start over again. Um, it, it's weird because uh, Fede Alvarez, the director of uh, Don't Breathe is producing this movie. And earlier this year, he was talking about uh, Ryan and Andy Tohill, the original directors, and talking about their vision for what this Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel would be. And he said, it's violent, exciting, and so depraved that it will stay with you forever. But uh, I guess he spoke too soon on that one. Hmm. Yeah, this doesn't happen that often during live action. Like in animation, it happens a lot, but the like, animation process takes place over a number of years. So you've seen it happen with a lot of like Pixar films like Ratatouille and Brave and mm-hmm. Toy Story 2 and Cars 2. Uh, but that's like, yeah, the, 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 I feel like that's almost like you're replacing someone during the development of a movie, not during the filming. Right. At that point. Right. Yeah. And it's sort of like what, you know, if, if uh, legendary was happy with everything up to this point, um, how bad must that or how 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 not on the same page must they have been going into this for them to be like all right you know what we're we're doing something drastic here that's kind of crazy to think about also real quick just a, a one note that i you know w- when i was researching this story something i learned that i had no idea about um elsie fisher who played the lead character in uh eighth grade that great indie movie from last year year before uh is one of the the lead characters in this cast and i think she's still on board despite the the director change so um if anybody out there was wondering you know when we might see elsie fisher uh elsie fisher in another movie again it sounds like she's going to be in texas texas chainsaw massacre 2 or whatever they end up calling this well that's cool uh that, that that's a that's a light of the the story i guess um okay let's move on let's talk about another I guess a reboot of another horror property. This one coming from Blumhouse and with John Carpenter involved, it is the thing HT. What do we know? Yeah. So Blumhouse kind of knocked it out of the park with their soft reboot of Halloween, also titled Halloween, uh, which also had John Carpenter, the original director involved. And now it seems Carpenter is teaming up with the studio again to reboot another one of his classic horror films, the thing. Um, and that's the 1982 sci-fi horror film originally starring Kurt Russell. Um, John Carpenter revealed this news at a Q&A at the um, film festival Fantasia Fest, saying that um, the that he, Jason Blum is working on The Thing, rebooting The Thing, and that he's involved, but it's somewhere down the road. And um, Variety managed to confirm that this is a project that is currently in very early stages, very early de- development with no other details hammered out. So we're not sure whether this is going to be along the lines of Halloween, where it's a sequel, but a soft reboot with um, maybe an old cast member returning to introduce a new generation to fight off the thing, or if it's going to be an, a, a reboot slash remake altogether. So um, that's, uh, yeah, that's the thing. I'm, I'm wondering, like, you know, Blumhouse is fairly clever, usually, about how they approach reboots and remakes. And I'm wondering if there's, like, some kind of interesting, clever Blumhouse approach to you know doing a new installment of this franchise like could it be could it be the thing you know he's loose on this base and it's like all told like through like cameras like a like a screen movie kind of thing or could it do you guys have any ideas like is there any like 
don't know. Whenever I hear remake or reboot, I always think like, you know, what is the reason to do this other than like we can, you know, have updated visual effects and stuff like that? Like what is and, you know, obviously make more money. Like what is the <laughs> the creative reason to do this? Like, do you guys have any ideas? Hmm. Well, Blumhouse has been doing a great job of rebooting properties with a more um, sort of contemporary and uh, relevant social sort of angle, uh, especially with The Invisible Man. And I wonder if this is just something that like I'm kind of spitballing, but, you know, amid the coronavirus pandemic, I wonder huh. if it'll be something that's somewhat tied to biological warfare or a pandemic, something in that area. Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, for me, like the clever thing would just be getting Kurt Russell and Keith David <laughs> back together because that worked so well on, on Halloween and they're both, you know, beloved performers. And I, I don't know, I, th- I think we saw with the, I think it was 2011, the thing remake slash prequel came out that what a weird movie that was um, <laughs> where it's sort of like basically told the exact same story, but also seated in, and, and, you know, synced up with the very first movie to be like the base that those characters discovered that was there originally, but it was basically just a remake. So they sort of had their cake and ate it too, but nobody liked the cake. So, uh, I don't know. It was, I, I, I would like to think that they, that Blumhouse has learned enough, um, from that movie's not failure, but just like tep- the tepid response to that movie that they wouldn't try the same thing again and that there would be some sort of interesting hook. But, um, I just love the idea of actually getting Kurt Russell back together and with, with Keith David. So hopefully that happens, but um, yeah, I, I can't think of a, you know, a more um, hammered out idea of other than, than what HT just laid out. No, I mean, what HT says is interesting because I, I loved uh, the invisible man. It's probably one of my favorite movies of this year, which I guess probably isn't saying a whole lot because there wasn't that many movies that came, came out this year. Um, but I, I love in the beginning of that movie, I guess, slight spoilers for The Invisible Man coming up. I love in the beginning of that movie that you're not sure completely if it is in her head or not. Do you know what I mean? That it is more psych- – it, it could be psychological. And um, I'm wondering if there's like an approach to this like that where you, you, HT is saying like with the coronavirus or something biological where it's it's not like an alien creature thing that you can see. It's, you know, it's kind of like a more not visible threat that could be kind of interesting. Anyways, um, OK, let's let's move on. Let's talk about another remake that's in development. This one is of the Nutty Professor HTY. <laughs> that is a good question. Uh, this one has a much less exciting team behind it. Uh, the team behind the Scream reboot, the upcoming Scream reboot, uh, Project X, uh, is currently developing a reboot of The Nutty Professor. Uh, this is the um, Eddie Murphy 1996 comedy that was also a remake of the Jerry Lewis 1963 comedy, which was also a spoof on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And so Project X's James Vanderbilt, William Chirac, and Paul Neinstein are looking – I don't know if that's how you say it. I'm sorry if I 
I butchered that, but are looking to develop another Nutty Professor remake. And um, they have landed the rights to the the film, the, the property, with an intention to remake it, but no studio is currently attached, nor a writer or any talent. Uh, Vanderbilt, who has penned scripts like The Rundown, Zodiac, and The Amazing Spider-Man, is just set to produce for now. And uh, we have no other news, except this comes on the heels of Project X's forthcoming relaunch of the Scream franchise, which is reuniting original cast members like Courtney Cox and David Arquette, as well as bringing in a new generation, kind of akin to what we saw, what we're, what we saw with Halloween. So yeah. uh, we don't know what this approach will be. We don't know if it's going to be a straightforward comedy or because it's the Scream team, if they're <laughs> going to go for something a little bit grittier. Uh, maybe more like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Who knows? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Why is a good question, though, Peter? Yeah, I don't know if I have an answer for that. But uh, I, I guess we'll keep an eye on this. And when we find out more, we can discuss this in greater depth. Uh, let's talk about another. I guess this is an adaptation. They're adapting a live action version of the Powerpuff Girls for, for the CW. <laughs> Ben, what is going on here? Yeah, this one is actually a, a live action sequel series. So it, it evidently takes place years after the events of the uh, Cartoon Network animated series, the Powerpuff Girls. And the logline here is uh, in the updated version of the series, the titular superheroes are now dis- disillusioned 20 somethings who resent having lost their childhood to crime fighting. Will they agree to reunite now that the world needs them more than ever? So that's the the pitch there for uh, a CW version of a live action Powerpuff Girls show. Um, Oscar winner Diablo Cody is writing this, or one of the writers of this thing, uh, along with um, I think her name is Heather Renier. I believe that's how you pronounce it. She has writing credits on shows like Veronica Mars and Sleepy Hollow and I Zombie, and uh, Greg Berlanti, who is like the he's like one of the biggest <laughs> producers in Hollywood at this point, even though I've never seen a single show that he's worked on, but he's he is like one of the Simon. most. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I still have yet to see that movie, but I know that you guys liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, that was sort of like his big uh, foray into uh, live action feature directing because he spends most of his time um, producing or executive producing tons of shows for the CW. He's like the yeah. architect behind the Arrowverse and shows like Riverdale and the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So um, he is on board this uh, pa- live action Powerpuff Girls as a, an executive producer there. So um, I, I suspect that this will be just as, uh, you know, meme worthy and and um, <laughs> aimed at the, the youths of today as like a lot of the stuff that he works on. So um, Diablo Cody being involved maybe is, is enough to like, get me uh more than zero percent interested in this so. <laughs> well yeah i like diablo cody and it definitely seems like they're taking kind of like a riverdale approach to this it seems but i guess for me as a person who you know only saw a couple episodes of powerpuff girls what i saw in powerpuff girls is so much like the style of that animated series it was so like crazy and bold and big and i i can't imagine what that would look like in live action or how how you adapt that to live action yeah i think uh i think it was brad in our slack channel was saying like maybe the only way that you could actually get away with trying to port that style over to live action is to try to do it in a way that replicates sort of what the wachowskis did with uh, the speed racer movie because um the powerpuff girls is very um 
I mean, it has a little bit in common with anime and, and that like, you know, there's and, and like kaiju stories and stuff like that. There's these little girls who are like flying around doing insane superhuman, you know, feats of strength and, and flying and shooting lasers out of their eyes and fighting giant monsters who are like crunching through skyscrapers and stuff like that. So like. I don't think any show has the budget to or any show on the CW anyway, has the, has the budget to actually like translate that exact thing in a way that is like a one-to-one transfer. So I'm wondering if it's going to be more of like a mumble core kind of thing where it's just these girls who used to do all that stuff who are now just like laying around on the couch and just like talking about the old days, but it says that the world needs them more than yeah. ever. So I, I wonder, you know, if they are planning on trying to translate that in some sort of uh new and and you know visually interesting bold way but um i don't know i guess we'll have to see i will say as i think the person who's watched the most greg berlanti stuff and um i watched who watched the first season of riverdale before it just kind of went a little off the rails well more than a little off the rails i do think that um the riverdale and chilling adventures of sabrina both have this highly heightened sort of camp style that is both a weird spoof of Americana as well as being a loving, like kind of really straightforward homage to it. I feel like there's something that in that heightened style that they could do with the Powerpuff Girls show. I was also like kind of baffled by this remake, but then I heard all the people involved in Diablo Cody, especially. And now I'm kind of intrigued and I wonder if they could do something. It won't be, you know, quite as action packed because it's about so-called retired uh, superheroes but i feel like they could they could pull it off if it's just way way more stylish than even um the other cw shows um and uh chilling adventures so yeah i think i think that i wonder i know i'm kind of curious i wonder if they'll be able to pull it off yeah i'm i'm curious to at least watch the trailer i'm not sure if i'll give the, the show a chance but um, i'm curious to see what it looks like from the trailer so uh we'll have to wait and see for that uh another thing that hit the news this week is there there's a video game the lord of the rings prequel video game which so far that sounds good and then you learn that it's focusing on Gollum. what is this ben <laughs> what is going on here yeah, there's this uh, this teaser trailer for a game called The Lord of the Rings, colon, Gollum. And, um, I, you know, th- it's basically like one of those teasers that doesn't have any actual gameplay footage in it. It's just uh, the opening <laughs> moments of this thing begin with fish carcasses in a cave. And uh, the camera sort of like pans and follows Gollum out of this cave. And he looks out over Mordor and you can sort of see the, uh, the eye of Sauron there in the distance um, and as the a volcano is is erupting and so that's basically it like we don't even know if that's really what the actual game is going to look like but um i really hope that there's a mini game where Gollum has to catch fish and smash them against (laughs) rocks because that sounds super entertaining to me um but yeah that you can watch the trailer at slashhelm.com i just don't understand what Gollum's story is before lord of the rings that would be well, I mean, I understand his story, but I don't understand how it's enough. There's enough there to make a video game story. Video games usually range from like, what, like eight to 20 hours or something. I mean, I don't play video games, so that might be a, a wrong guess of time. Yeah, I think it, it totally depends on the type of game. <laughs> um, but this is going to be available on like major consoles, PlayStation 5 and Xbox yeah. Series X and, and PC sometime next year. 
Um, in terms of the story, the only thing we really know about it is that the game starts with Gollum traveling to Mordor as he's trying to hunt down Bilbo Baggins, who had, I guess, before the events of this game begin, had had outsmarted him and stolen his precious, the, the ring in the cave during the, the story of The Hobbit. So the action here is going to play out between that moment and then the events of the Lord of the Rings. So um, we know that Gollum gets captured by uh, Sauron's uh, forces at some point. So if that's the end point of the game, that's a really depressing kind of thing. If you're the protagonist, if you're Gollum and he's like the hero of his own story. And Gollum's whole you story know is the most depressing thing too. It's just about like, <laughs> I know. this, this uh, like degra- mental degradation of this poor horrible creature and there's only he's only really a cautionary tale at that so i don't know understand how he can be a hero of his own story yeah and then like the the actual gameplay is supposed to be it's supposed to mix stealth with vertical climbing parkour which uh the (laughs) the game's designer said was sort of similar to something like prince of persia and he said it's mostly a non-combat game um and Gollum's strengths lie in cunning not combat so um I mean, when I, I think of Gollum, I think of parkour, Ben. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I mean, he does scramble up mountains pretty well, but I don't know how fun that's going to be in actual gameplay. So fingers crossed, really, for that fish smashing section. <laughs> okay, we've been talking a lot about Tenant coming out. Uh, now there's the question of, like, can I go to a drive-in movie theater to see Tenant if I don't want to go to my local multiplex? What do we know, HD? That question is more complicated than it should be, it turns out. Uh, According to a report from Variety, Warner Brothers is issuing strict guidelines to drive-in operators across the country, mandating that tenants can only play in outdoor venues, a.k.a. drive-in theaters, if indoor indoor venues in that state or that area are open. So if you are in a state, for example, uh, like... Oh, sorry. Um, what states have have theaters that are closed right now? Well, California. Um, California, where theaters yeah. are closed, you can't see Tenant because the Warner Brothers will not allow theaters, um, outdoor theaters, there to play it. So, wait. So, wait. So, <laughs> wait, so you're saying I'm, I'm confused here. I think. Wait. So you're saying in California, where movie theaters are not open, they won't show it in drive-ins. Exactly. Because Warner Brothers apparently is. Wait, uh, I think you have the story wrong here. <laughs> no, I think that's, that's right. right. That's I think right. that's is that right. That's, yeah, exactly that's the weird that. part about this. It doesn't that's make why it's any so sense. Weird, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, wait, no, no, it won't play at drive-ins in markets where indoor theater. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Please keep all of this in the I, actual. I'm so recording confused because I feel like when this news hit the other day. I had read the story and I assumed it was the opposite, that it was that Tenant could not play at drive-ins in markets where indoor theaters were open. Because that makes sense. Like they're like, oh, we don't want to hurt the indoor theaters that are open. This makes no sense at all. Now I'm confused. Yeah. So, yeah, this is basically their stance is indoor theaters are nothing. That. That sucks for drive-in movie theaters. Yes. And for people wow. in states who don't have any theaters open, uh, indoor theaters open at all. Okay. You know what? We are fastly approaching where when Tenet is going to actually open in the United States. 
So I wanted to circle back to you guys and find out what your plan is. Are you are you going to go out to see Tenet? <laughs> uh, AC, you go first. I will not. I do not trust theaters at this moment, and I do not trust people who go to theaters at this moment. And what I, about a drive-in? Uh, since you're in an area where there, <laughs> I guess it's going to be showing. Like in your area, they have indoor theaters that are showing tenant. Yes, I'm currently in Virginia, and I'm will be here when tenant opens. So, per, if it's available in a drive-in theater near me, then I will go, and if I'm able to get tickets, but only at a drive-in theater. Indoor theaters, I do not trust at this moment. Yeah, I'm I'm in Florida now, and I th- I'm almost certain that it will be showing in theaters near me. But I'm like UHT, I, <laughs> I sort of am not ready to go back into a movie theater yet. Um, Dave Chen, who's the host of the Slash Filmcast, actually just did a, a video on his YouTube channel about this, like talking about all the different ways where you know walking through his thought process of like, am I going to do this? Can I like rent out a theater? Um, you know, some I think Cinemark theaters are doing that, where you can like pay $150 or something and like rent out the entire theater and um, you know, he was talking about like, could I get a, a screening, like the first screening of the day? So like uh, droplets aren't hanging in the air and stuff like that to sort of like minimize the risk even further. Um, you know, there there is a way where I could see somebody like being as safe as possible to do this. I just don't think that any movie is worth um, <laughs> that much effort, frankly. And then also just like the the risk that I still feel like would be lingering there. So I'm I'm going to sit it out until it comes on VOD or something uh, or until, you know, I, I get more information that <laughs> science-based information that lets me change my mind. Well, here's what I'm doing. One of my friends uh, who's a Hollywood producer, he, he booked a movie, a Cinemark movie theater in Las Vegas. So we're heading to Las Vegas <laughs> on the road in the, in a car. And we're going to go see a screening, I think like during the middle of the day, in Las Vegas, and I there's going to be me and Kitra, and I think five other people in that theater that all of which I know and uh, trust. Uh, but I guess there is the possibility that there's like droplets lingering in the air. Although I have read some like I read a link, maybe I can find it, but in the show notes. But there was some scientists saying how movie theaters are actually not. Uh, that dangerous for for this because everybody th- there was a bunch of reasons. It was actually kind of interesting to read, so I'll try to find it and put it in there. But what they were saying is, uh, everybody's facing in one direction. So what you really don't what, where this can transfer virally is like when you have people facing each other. That that is a much bigger risk. But if everybody's facing in one direction and you have actually a theater that or a location that has good airflow, uh, unlike some places, I, I, I've read some like horror stories of some places in like China and Japan. It's like old places where. <laughs> The you know the they they were built before proper air ventilation and like you know tons of people have in mass gotten COVID because of uh, hanging out there. Uh, but apparently, it, like those things, and obviously you know wearing masks should help. So I, I'm hoping I, I don't know. I've been enough places during this pandemic with a mask on and following the rules and social distancing uh, that I. I, I trust the the other you know two couples that are going to be in this theater with us. So uh, it's, I don't know. I I just want to see this movie on the big screen. I don't want to like 
I don't want, you know, to see it another way. I, I don't even want to see it at a drive-in. Drive-in, like, feels like it would be the worst place to see a Christopher Nolan movie. Not just because, like, you know, you need that <laughs> that big screen, but, like, some sometimes the sound design of his movies, like, you need, like, the clear sound. Like, even in, like, you know, I, I saw Interstellar at the man's Chinese theater in Hollywood. And it was hard to understand some of the stuff because they have like an echoey kind of, it's like an old uh, cinema palace. So that's why I'm looking yeah. forward to watching it on VOD. So I can do it with subtitles on. <laughs> that's why I'm looking forward to watching it on my phone. <laughs> okay. That, we've run out of time for today. That does it for today's podcast. You can find more of all of our work at slash from the com. You can find this podcast in iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slash from the com. And please rate and read this podcast in iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Friday. <laughs>